I'm Annalie Master. Welcome to my Common Sense Living podcast, where I will add common sense and value to your life. If uncensored is what you want, you'll find it here. I'm a critical thinker, meaning I question most everything to see if it makes sense. Topics range from spiritual, health and wellness, to nutrition, recipes, fasting, exercise, gardening, animals, healing, and most anything else. Occasionally, I will feature various professionals about their specific areas of expertise. So grab a pen and paper to take some notes as I offer authentic, thought-provoking information, which is insightful and true as I know it. Take responsibility for yourself and confer with your healthcare provider as I do not diagnose nor prescribe. Your comments are welcome. I just ask they be polite. So I'm glad you stopped by at my Common Sense Living podcast. See you real soon. I'm Annalie Master. Welcome to my Common Sense Living Podcast, where I'm going to add common sense and value to your life. We're going to talk about something different today, four different topics. One is changing your thoughts, and that can change your life, BMI, fatty liver, and a playbook on the GMOs. So with that, let's get started. Actually, science now explains exactly how changing your thoughts can change your life. First, here's the model of how it works. New thoughts could lead to new choices. New choices could lead to new behaviors. New behaviors could lead to new experiences. New experiences could lead to new emotions. And new emotions and feelings should inspire you to think in new ways. A new state of being, and it all starts with just a thought. You might even say you have evolved your personality when you grow in this way. According to Dr. Joe Dispenza, your personal reality and your biology your brain circuitry, your internal chemistry, your genetic expression, and ultimately your health should change as a result of this new personality. Your brain has a hundred billion nerve cells called neurons, and each neuron is its own unique biocomputer capable of hundreds of thousands of functions per second. As you learn new things and have new experiences in your life, your neurons make new connections. Remembering is keeping those connections wired together. As the brain makes changes, our thoughts produce a blend of various chemicals called neurotransmitters. When lots of neurons fire in unison to support a new thought, an additional chemical is created within the nerve cell and makes its way to the cell center where it lands in the DNA. That chemical protein then switches on several genes. So by thinking new thoughts, you change neurologically chemically, and genetically. This is just a brief look. If you repeat what you learn enough times, you strengthen communities of neurons to support you in remembering. If you don't, the synaptic connections disappear with time, erasing the memory. So now you know in a nutshell how changing your thoughts for the better or changing your thoughts to be more positive can change your life. Your choice. So we have BMI is going to be next. This is an article by Reuters, and U.S. Doctors Group adopts new policy on healthy weight assessment June of this year. The American Medical Association, AMA, said it will advise doctors to pay less attention to body mass index, the BMI, in determining if a patient is at a healthy weight, saying the measure does not predict disease and disease risk equally well across racial and ethnic groups. BMI, a ratio of weight to height, has long been used to define underweight, normal weight, overweight, obesity, and morbid obesity. Despite mounting evidence that 
It is an inaccurate predictor of health risks on an individual level. At the Influential Physician Group's annual meeting in Chicago, members voted to adopt a new policy that says BMI should be just one factor in determining whether a patient is at a healthy weight. Other measures such as body composition, belly fat, waist circumference, and genetic factors are also important, the AMA said. There have been issues with using BMI as a measurement due to its historical harm and its use for racist exclusion, the AMA said. In its announcement on on Wednesday, the AMA acknowledged that the BMI scale is based primarily on data from white people, while body shape and composition vary among racial and ethnic groups, genders, and age groups. Weight problems have long been attributed to poor lifestyle decisions, such as eating too much due to lack of willpower. Views on proper weight and on causes of obesity in particular have begun to change along with new approaches to management, including effective new weight loss drugs such as Wagovi from Novo Nordstrom. At the other extreme, the AMA said, overemphasis of bodily thinness is as deleterious to one's physical and mental health as obesity. It asks doctors to help patients avoid obsessions with dieting and to develop balanced individualized approaches to finding the body weight that is best for each of them. The AMA's new policy also says BMI should not be used as a sole criterion for denying insurance reimbursement. Now, I was introduced to that thought uh, several years back when I worked as biometric screener at one of the, well, it was actually it was USAA here in San Antonio. And a couple of guys that lifted weights and they were really, eh, they were honks, okay? And their BMI was too much. So that compromised their insurance that they didn't qualify and had to pay more. So it's finally come around that they can see it, that it needs to be a different measurement. It's a guideline. Waist size is more important. 35 or less for women and 40 or less for men. So for the waist. So now the next one is about fatty liver. and. You can be skinny and still have a fatty liver. So with a million zillion smart health devices out there, you'd think that it would be painfully obvious by now. Stress is worse for you than alcohol. That's not a reason to start drinking. Enjoying the occasional glass of wine can be a good thing. But just because alcohol is less bad than stress doesn't mean it's not affecting your liver. In this email, we will teach how to support the liver, what to watch out for, and the one little-known secret ingredient you should make sure is in any liver supplement you take if you want to move the needle. So, clarification here that I offer you options. I do not tell you what to do, what to take. I am giving you information. You talk to your healthcare provider. So, that's my disclaimer. So, top risk factors contributing to fatty liver. First, let's go over the top factors that can set you up for poor liver health. Obesity. Excess body weight, especially abdominal obesity, is strongly associated with the development of fatty liver. The accumulation of fat in the liver is often seen in individuals who are overweight or obese. Insulin resistance is a condition in which the body cells do not respond effectively to insulin, leading to elevated blood sugar levels. Insulin resistance is closely linked to the development of fatty liver. Number three is type 2 diabetes. People with type 2 are at a higher risk of developing fatty liver due to insulin resistance and metabolic abnormalities associated with the disease. High blood triglyceride levels. Elevated levels of triglycerides, a type of fat, in the blood can contribute to fat accumulation in the liver. 
And number five is poor diet. Consuming a diet high in sap fats, refined carbs, and added sugars can contribute to developing fatty liver. Number six is a sedentary lifestyle. Lack of physical activity or leading a sedentary lifestyle can increase the risk of developing fatty liver. Number seven is metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome is a cluster of conditions that include obesity, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, and abnormal blood lipid levels. Metabolic syndrome increases the risk of developing fatty liver. And number eight is medications. Certain medications such as corticosteroids, tamoxifen, methotrexate, and others may contribute to the development of fatty liver. Obviously, we can't just take supplements and expect our problems to go away. True health is always built on a strong foundation of lifestyle changes that allow the body to function more harmoniously. Out of all the causes of liver dysfunction, you'll note that practically all of them can be solved with proper diet and exercise. Science shows that even a simple daily walk is highly underrated. With all of that said, we can all agree that supplements put you on the fast track to healing, especially when it comes to the liver. Damage to the liver often results in fibrosis. Basically, the liver is trying to save itself from total destruction by replacing healthy functioning liver cells with what is effectively non-functioning scars. Too much fibrosis means that the liver can't do its job. You can't detox as well. Vitamins and minerals from food aren't absorbed, and hormone levels start getting completely out of whack. The second way the liver can get damaged is through excess fat storage known as fatty liver. Whenever you eat, dietary fat runs through the hepatic portal vein where the liver processes it. Too much bad fat, like fast food, canola oil, sunflower seed oil, causes the liver to store this excess fat, the closest place it can move it to, itself, the liver. However, recent studies show that fibrosis, fatty liver, can be reversed with drugs or a curious pink flower used since colonial times. Milk thistle is a flower native to Europe and was introduced into North America by the early colonists. Milk thistle is found throughout the eastern United States, California, South America, Africa, Australia, and Asia. Historically, people have used milk thistle for liver disorders and gallbladder problems, and recent studies prove that milk thistle is effective for this and more. I actually had a doctor here in San Antonio, and not a typical doctor, that had prescribed that for me or, you know, had supplements. And so anyway, the active compound found in milk thistles, silymarin, acts as an antioxidant by reducing free radical production and lipid paradoxation, has antifibrotic activity, and may act as a toxin blockade agent by inhibiting binding of toxins to the hepatocyte and cell membrane receptors. Let's break that down. Taking milk thistle can reduce fibrosis, the destruction of liver cells, and blocks toxins from even being absorbed by liver cells. In animals, silymarin has even been shown to reduce liver injury caused by acetaminophen, commonly called Tylenol, carbon tetrachloride, which is a solvent in chemicals and drugs, radiation, iron overload, phenylhydrazine, and alcohol. It's a powerful little plant, but it's not the only one. What to pair with milk thistle? Milk thistle for maximum liver healing? Beetroot. But beware, beets are many times genetically modified. Beetroot is a powerhouse of a food. Not only does it contain high antioxidant polyphenols, just like other high-color vegetables, but it also contains nitrate. When nitrate is metabolized, it helps your body to produce nitric oxide, which helps open up blood vessels. 
It does not thin the blood, but rather reduces resistance in the blood vessels. That means it promotes healthy blood flow through the liver. Artichoke leaves. These leaves have been specifically shown to help deal with the kind of damage Tylenol causes. On top of that, they also help to regulate liver enzymes. Studies have shown that this plant suppresses the accumulation of fat in the liver, preventing that nasty fibrosis we talked about earlier. On top of that, a rat study showed that those treated with phyllanthus exhibited significantly lower indicators of heart disease than untreated rats. Oh, and the pesky weed dandelion root is yet another plant that can help to prevent the accumulation of fat in the liver, especially in the cases of high-fat diets. Chicory root, which you can also use in coffee, there's chicory coffee, has been shown to decrease liver enzymes, activate AMPK, and help form new mitochondria and lowers blood sugar, which will help specifically with burning belly fat. Yarrow flowers like chicory root, yarrow flowers also help lower blood sugar and make the liver's job a little easier. Yarrow flowers also help to restore healthy insulin sensitivity, one of the risks we mentioned earlier, and regulate blood sugar. Jujube seed helps reduce liver enzymes, but in a different way than the other options listed above. Jujube seed upregulates the NRF2 pathway. NRF2 activates genes that help protect the cell from damage caused by free radicals. Just think of it like your body's own antioxidant-producing system. The quickest and easiest way to support your liver, there's a million and one milk thistle supplements on the shelves. So don't wait until a slow liver starts causing issues elsewhere in the body. Get help for the liver first. And now we have the playbook for GMO 2.0 is going exactly to plan. Brands step in to combat it. If you are eating animal-free dairy or meat products that taste nearly identical to a traditional animal product, you should be asking plenty of questions. And more often than not, what you will discover is that these foods are anything but natural. Aware of what consumers may find out and not wanting to make the same PR mistake twice, the GMO industry has intentionally introduced sophisticated and deceptive names such as synthetic biology, cultured meat gene editing, precision fermentation, and cellular-based seafood. Further muddying the waters is that these companies have been funded not just by the likes of Bayer and BASF, but by Silicon Valley heavyweight investors who have bankrolled some of the largest technology companies in the world, giving these startups instant credibility and a certain degree of protection from criticism. Even more, the organic community is being aggressively courted. They're enlisting people like acclaimed farm-to-table chef Dan Barber and are purchasing booths at Natural Products Expo West, a show that most attendees believe is only for natural products. And these booths are interspersed throughout the show, sharing aisles with USDA organic and natural product companies. During the State of Organic and Natural keynote presentation at this year's Expo West, we were told that the only way we're going to meet demand as a planet is through cultured meat. Cultured meat is meat produced from cells without having to raise or kill animals. This is synthetic biology. So you take a cow hair and you make meat out of that, or the cow hoof, or the cow hide, or the cow tongue, and it makes the the steak that you're going to eat. Doesn't sound appealing to me. So as these GMO 2.0 companies have raised billions of dollars 
with Silicon Valley salivating over the prospect of owning a piece of the patent-protected food supply, their marketing tactics have been an unmitigated success at manipulating the public. Companies call these things synthetic biology and fermentation technology, but these foods are all just GMOs. And Michael Hansen, PhD, senior staff scientist at Consumer Reports, says that. They are using terms people do not understand so that people will not realize these are GMO ingredients. They appeal to our trust. Moreover, the problems with synthetic biology are the same ones that we have had with traditional GMOs. These are often highly processed foods, which are associated with increased calorie intake and weight gain, according to a study from the National Institute of Health. And while these companies may be perceived as tech startups, the products they produce are designed to fit into an industrial food system, and society is clearly moving against this trend and toward a more agroecological-based food system. Additionally, they are introducing novel genetically engineered proteins into the food supply that will have unknown potential impacts on the human microbiome and the environment, and these companies are self-affirming GRAS status with the FDA, a voluntary process that is incredibly problematic and falls very short of protecting the consumer. So back to the potential impacts on the human microbiome. Oh, it was back in the 80s or 90s. My class for nursing school was asked, simple question. So I'm asking you, what do you think? Because it's how, how it was posed to us. What is more important? What functions the most importantly in the body, the brain or the gut? Well, there's 30 in the class. We're talking amongst each other. We all came to consensus that it's the brain because if your brain dead, nothing works, right? The gut, they knew it back then when all this genetically modified fake sugar and all this stuff was made. So now fast forward and look at all the gut issues we have. Now, if you have common sense, you know what I'm talking about. But if you don't, I highly suggest you develop some and get some critical thinking skills. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe what I'm saying. I don't care. My my position is I learn. I love to learn. I'm always learning. And I want to share that with people and give you information that you do with what you want. I have no control, but I would hope that you would at least contemplate it and someday apply it. Okay. So a new campaign to clarify the facts. Gravely concerned about this issue, Albert Strauss, founder and CEO of Strauss Family Creamery, has partnered with the non-GMO project on its first ever dairy-focused campaign during National Dairy Month to bring awareness to the agricultural and environmental threat of Symbio dairy called How Do You Milk a Microbe? Hmm, that sounds interesting. Synthetic biology is a threat to our farming system and healthy soils, which take care of our land, animals, and communities. As such, it will continue the decline of organic farms and create a less healthy food supply for our population, he said. Organic dairy farming and milk production are the foundation for a carbon-neutral dairy farming model, something that we'll achieve on the family farm by 2023. And they're playing with mother nature don't you think mother nature has more knowledge about food and how things work i mean humans haven't been on the earth nearly as long as animals and the plants and everything so in our arrogant minds we think we know so much we're really we're really dumber than animals so 
The benefits of regenerative organic farming practices and leveraging the soil's ability to mitigate climate change somehow get lost in the discussion when it comes to synthetic biology. Overshadowing it is the blindly accepted assumption that because synthetic biology does not use animals or confined cattle and pig confinement places, its environmental impact is much less deleterious. But is that true? Given that their patents reference the need for large amounts of feedstock, it's clear the industry is just ramping up demand for more GMO seed and cheap GMO crops. This reinforces the loss, loss of biodiversity through monocultures and pesticides while reducing the vitality of our rural communities by concentrating wealth in corporations, warns Alan Lewis, vice president at Natural Grocers. The dependence on petrochemical fertilizers and tillage releases tremendous amounts of carbon into the atmosphere. The same cows that synthetic biology wants to replace with sustainable fermentation vats are actually critical to recapturing carbon via healthy pasture and pasture lands. And when you're talking about all this toxic chemicals going on the ground, the plants grow, the bees and the birds eat the seeds and pollinate all that. The hummingbird, somebody made juice for the hummingbird and the dye in it, or they used other than plain white sugar, and the little tongue was stuck out because it's not it's not what they eat. So we are killing what pollinates our foods. Like how many bumblebees do you see anymore? I was ecstatic to see some in my garden this year. In recent years, animal-free dairy proteins have found their way into everything from ice cream to cream cheese to snack bars, but many shoppers, food manufacturers, and retailers are unaware that these actually unlabeled and unregulated genetically modified organisms, GMOs. Further compounding the problem is that consumers may be misled into thinking that these products are natural, which could potentially take market share away from the organic industry. The introduction of synthetic biology products will seemingly only continue to accelerate, and according to the biotech industry's Good Food Institute, nearly $2 billion has been invested in developing precision-fermented products like SynBio, that's S-Y-N-B-I-O, dairy, in the past year alone. How is so much money being directed into this category despite consumers increasingly moving away from GMOs? This appeals to the folks in Silicon Valley because it is a new technology. These companies come up with nice stories to tell, but they do not have to be connected to scientific reality. Their stories just have to sound plausible. The people throwing money at this do not fully understand the technical issues. Look at Theranos. Any good analytical scientist could have told you that taking a drop of blood and getting all the tests that they promised was not really technically feasible, put forth uh, by Mike, Michael Hansen. That one drop of blood and you get all your lab results, then why do they take vials on one drop of blood? But that was that was a fallacy. So anyway, that concludes today's segment. And I hope you enjoyed learning some things and that I woke some of you up and validated some of you that feel like I do. So I thank you for being here today, and I ask that you share and like and subscribe, and you're going to find me where podcasts are. So till next time, have a great day. Toodaloo. Thank you for tuning in to my Common Sense Living podcast today. 
I hope you enjoyed it, and I'm sure you learned something new. Please leave a kind review and share this episode with a friend. And be sure to subscribe yourself. You'll find me on iTunes, Spotify, and other platforms. And don't forget, we'll be here again next week with another insightful episode of Common Sense Living. I can hardly wait. Wait.